0: Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night. Andrew Boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week we're going over UFC Vegas 11, headlined by the grudge match of Kobe Covington and Tyron Woodley, a fight that I've been waiting for for a long time to finally fucking place a bet on. And you guys will hear uh, which side I'm picking uh, later on in this episode when we, when we get into that breakdown. Um Before we get into the card, let's just quickly go over my last event, which was UFC Vegas 10. Uh, And it was a losing event, minus 3.6 units on the entire card. Uh, That one was a bit of a, yeah, that one kind of sucked. Let's just put it that way. So let's start off with the two wins that we had. I had 1.5 units on Billy Quarantillo, two win inside the distance at plus 110. That cashes for plus 1.65 units. I was happy with that one. Uh, 0.25 units on Otman Azitar to win inside round one at plus 400. That cashes for one unit. I found that one to be a little bit crazy. I think eight of his 12 wins all have come inside the first round, and this seemed like a, a solid spot for him too. So we cash on that. And then the shitty part of the night comes where we pretty much lose everything else. Uh, 0.75 units on Anthony Ivey at plus 225 against Brian Barberena. Never betting on Ivy again. Let's put that out there. Uh, and then Justin Kish, 0.5 units at plus 214 against Sabina Mazo. She was one minute away from taking that decision. She was looking really, really good in that fight. I was very confident that she was going to go out there and win that decision. Uh, and then Sabina just dis- decides to kick her upside the head. And that's MMA betting for you. So, uh, Sabina Mazo comes away with a, a submission uh, at the, pretty much near the end of the fight uh, to save a lot of the bettors there. So, uh, good win for Sabina Mazzo. Unfortunate loss for us there. And then, obviously, the lock and that I play. I went with the Chalky Parlay, and I fucking played for it. Both fucking legs miss. Uh, Andrea Lee, minus 308. uh does not shore up her takedown defense. You know, I, I thought she'd be able to keep it on the feet and just absolutely outwork Matafari in the striking range. Doesn't happen. Uh, Julia Vila apparently has no get up game. Uh, I thought that she'd be able to keep the fight on the feet. Um, not able to. You know, and Sajara Eubanks, credit to her, man. She, even when, uh, you know, they uh, Julia Vila brought that firefight, brought that raging panda mode that I talked about last week, Sajara just stood her ground and just exchanged with her and then followed her up with a solid takedown to just ride out the top position for the majority of that fight. So, uh you know, shout out to anybody that took Montefiore and Eubanks. Uh, solid spots there. That was minus five units for me. Uh, but we end that night at minus 3.6 units. So that fucking sucked that that one really hurt uh so we're back to free picks like i said um uh so luckily for you guys you guys will get free picks but uh, a note i will tell you about this free picks thing that i'm doing uh as soon as i make the bets i'll be releasing them to my patreon members uh i won't be releasing my picks to the public until the weigh-ins have wrapped up once the weigh-ins wrap up then i'll tweet them out on my twitter account once again at mmalotn so if you guys want to see my picks That's where you're going to go. Uh, and then once again once I hit three straight winning events we're back to paid picks so I won't be giving out the picks uh, unless you're a part of the Patreon or you you know buy the picks through my website or go through Bet MMA Tips Uh, but everybody's loving the Patreon right now and you know I gotta give a huge shout out to everybody on the Patreon that uh, you know even after a losing night they're still sticking around they know that the picks are going to be free now but they're still sticking around because they like the early breakdowns that they're getting because as soon as I finish recording the breakdowns I drop it to the on the patreon and then they very much appreciate the best bets and props article uh which you know the the, they're fucking loving you know they love that i'm able to spot some of these uh higher odds uh, in terms of uh these props uh and and they're able to explore and they're able to have fun and and cash on those as well and then obviously we have the hail mary and lottery parlays that i drop on there as well uh so i'm sure they're very appreciative of that so um yeah um Check out the Patreon. You, you guys are fucking killing it. We're over a hundred patrons, uh, and I feel like it's gonna continue to grow. For five bucks or ten bucks a month, it's more than worth uh, fucking your bang for your buck, especially considering that we're getting like a UFC event every single weekend. That's yeah it's a steal that's all i gotta say uh but i feel like i can build a, a solid enough base of uh people on there that i can finally fucking leave my nine to five and do this shit full-time so we're getting there bit by bit I'm, I'm pretty much halfway there if we can get that to 200 to 250 i feel like i can finally do this full-time and and maybe start to open up the the you know to, to bellator and pfl and uh invicto a little bit more to give you guys some breakdowns on those but for now time is too wrapped up got a family you know got things to do and then got the nine to five and then do fucking 14 breakdowns a week for you guys already so i'm sure you guys know how uh, how much that uh that is uh time consuming but anyway you guys are here for the breakdowns like i said you guys will see that these are all pre-recorded as soon as i record them i drop to the drop them to the people on patreon so my patreon members already have access to this but you guys will be hearing this for the first time if you're not on the patreon so patreon description uh patreon link is in the description below whether you're listening to uh the audio podcast or the uh the youtube video watching that stuff i mean just check it out check it out help your boy out all right i will shut the fuck up and we will get into these breakdowns for ufc vegas 11 tyson nam versus jerome rivera we got minus 175 on tyson nam and plus 155 on jerome rivera um the line is holding steady it opened up roughly around minus 165 but there seems to be a little bit of love coming in on tyson m uh, as this week continues so this was actually uh, announced pretty late uh, this was announced uh, uh i want to say during the broadcast of this past week's event um if we all remember the week before tyson M was actually supposed to go out there and fight uh sorry i don't know if it was the week before or the or last week uh, Tyson M was actually supposed to go out there and fight matt schnell uh yeah sorry he was supposed to fight Matt Chanel on uh September 12th so that was the last card um Schnell pulls out due to weight cutting issues and they quickly find a replacement uh but unfortunately for Tyson Am he's gonna have to wait a week uh to to fight Jerome Rivera but here we are a couple of days away from this fight and uh you know it, it, it's got to be a little bit shitty for Tyson Am in terms of having an opponent change uh but it doesn't seem to really affect him whenever he goes from uh, opponent to opponent because his, uh, his style is pretty much the same throughout. You know, he goes out there and uh, I tweeted it out uh, earlier today that his fighting style is pretty much just forever loading. You know what I mean? Like he's just, it looks like he's always just waiting for that one opening uh, to to throw like a, a two punch combination and hoping that one of them knocks out his opponents. Um, you know, sometimes you just switch it up and go to the body, but it's just so far, a f- uh, few and far between that, I don't know how you can really be confident in putting money on him. You know, you're you're kind of expecting him to go out there and get the finish. It's very weird for me to uh, think that people think that he's gonna go out there and win decisions. It's not gonna happen. You know, like he with the amount of output that he throws, uh, just like uh, somebody that's fighting later on in this card, uh, Tyron Woodley. uh, You you can't. You and uh, you know you you can't really. Bank on them to win by decision. Like they, they just don't throw enough output. Like he's gonna need to go out there and drop his opponent at least once per round to secure each fucking round. Unless of course Jerome Rivera goes out there and just is a standing statue when he, you know, just willingly being hit by Tyson M. Anytime he throws that two punch combination. Um, the last time Tyson M. did win a decision, it was against a guy named Shojin Miki. That was uh July of 2019. That was two months before his uh, or two and a half months. Before his UFC debut against Sergio Pettis Uh, But in that fight against Shojin Miki It was a 5 round fight Um, Unfortunately the only thing that we have on tape uh, Is about uh, the the last half of the 3rd round And then the 4th and 5th round And you still see those tendencies from Tyson Nam Where he just goes out there and just you know is willing to like make it seem like a sparring match where he's just trying to touch his opponent here and there um you know luckily for him in that fight miki was a little bit of a, a target like he was just target practice for him he wasn't throwing enough of his own uh he was easily giving up takedowns um you know tyson nam is not much of a takedown machine but it just seemed so easy for him in this fight that he just wanted to just you know secure each round for sure by taking miki down and just securing those rounds uh when you look into miki's record so he was six and four going into that fight against Tyson Ham. Now he holds a record of 7 and 6 or 6 and 7 I believe, but all of his wins are against guys that are either making their pro debuts or have losing records. Anytime he fights a guy with a legit record or a winning record of any sort, he loses. You know, he's lost to Martin Day twice. He's lost to uh um kai kamaka who just recently made his ufc debut and then he just lost to tyson Nam as well so um you know even before that is the last time he uh won a decision like the last time he he went to a draw with yanni Sherbatov, i'm sure most of you guys remember him for from the the flyweight champions uh uh the season of the ultimate fighter uh then before that he won a split decision over ian de la cuesta uh that's a fight that i was not able to find uh any tape on so that one was a little bit harder to uh to 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 get a read on um but yeah you're kind of hoping on him to to go out there and knock out his opponent if he's not able to knock out his opponent more than likely he's going to lose a decision um you know he is quite durable uh the last time he's gotten finished was by Marlon way back in uh 2013 so I do like his durability here um but uh Jerome Rivera brings an interesting aspect to this To this game you know rivera showed a solid chin of his own he hasn't lost via tko or ko uh the loss that he has to brandon royval was a 40 second uh loss via injury if you guys remember that i you you know i saw a little while back i didn't bother watching it back uh for uh preparation for this fight because i just remember him like his arm dangling i think it was his elbow or his forearm or something like that it looked really disgusting so i didn't want to revisit that but he's never been uh, he's never been knocked out you know he he's never really been rocked crazily or anything like that he moves very well he uses his range very well his kicks are good um but his main thing is you know showcasing his brown belt uh he wasn't really able to pull it off too much in that luis rodriguez fight which was his last fight on the contender series on august fourth i believe that was the the week one uh event of the contender series um slightly controversial decision based on some people's uh you know uh watching uh i did do a live stream with my man rockstar z and uh we uh broke that down and uh it was a close fight you know it came down to that second round i thought jerome rivera won the first round the second round was super close uh and then the third round i thought that uh uh, rodriguez won that round but jerome rivera he's he's active enough you know, what I mean, and if you're giving me plus 155 on a guy that, you know, seems to be active enough, and I think that he'll be, uh, you know, more on the attack or more on the offensive by trying to get Tyson M down, holding him up against the cage, uh, you know, doing some damage up against the cage, uh, hopefully and eventually dragging him down, starting to implement his jujitsu. I'm not sure if he'll be able to pull off the sub, but I know he'll be offensive enough to, you know, to keep Tyson M working, and as long as he's able to stay on his bike and he stays mobile and he stays away from the power shots of Tyson Nam, this is his fight to win. You know, I'm surprised at the money that's continuously coming in on Tyson Ham because people are, you know, banging on him to go out there and get a knockout. Because, you know, rather than playing Tyson i straight, you might as well play him inside the distance. He's not winning a decision here. Let's be honest. If he goes out there and wins a decision, I would be legitimately surprised. But I truly think that this is Jerome Rivera's fight to win, and I think he is going to win it. I think he's a solid dog spot here. You guys know me. I don't like betting on UFC debutants, but uh, I have to make two exceptions this week. You know, we already know I, I, I'm probably going to go out there and uh, play some money on my boy TJ Laramie uh just due to you know his experience and the fact that he's already fought at the apex you can say the same thing here with jerome rivera he's fought at the apex before he's gotten over those jerseys he's fought in front of dana white you know there isn't going to be too much difference in terms of who he's fighting in in front of when he goes out there and fights tyson nam uh other than the fact that there's probably just going to be different banners other than the contender series banners that he's used to you know he's done this walk before he's he's definitely done it before and he, he's fought decent competition throughout his career as well uh, uh even that luis rodriguez fight was a was a solid learning lesson for him but i think that he has all the tools in his in his toolbox to to really go out there and and put on a performance against Tyson M again I'm not sure if he'll get the submission I'm not sure if he'll get the finish but I truly believe that he will be active enough uh to steal this fight away from Tyson M so as long as he doesn't get knocked out that's always an if but again I think it's super low percentage especially considering the odds that we're getting um if you want to go out there and bet Nam bet him inside the distance that's the best price you're going to get on him uh let me see what those odds are for you guys real quick um tyson m to win by inside the distance at least since that's the only thing that's out is plus 125 so bet the plus 125 instead of betting the minus 175 because he's not winning a decision um otherwise i like rivera to win this fight by decision Uh, at plus 305 I think that's a solid spot for him there so uh sorry not uh, yeah by decision I think that's a spot as I do think that he'll be the one that's a little bit more active but even him straight up plus 155 and I think the line's only going to get better so if you wait out a bit you might get plus 160 plus 165 or something like that so I do like Jerome Rivera here I think he's just going to be more active all around uh you know going for takedowns uh doing some damage up against the cage just seeming like the guy that is more offensive in the fight uh and that's going to dividends from here so I'm going to take Jerome Rivera to win this fight via decision Derek Minner versus TJ Laramie we got minus 290 for the UFC debutant and contender series vet uh TJ Laramie and plus 245 for Derek Minner who also was on the contender series so let's start off with Derek Minner he's coming off he lost Grant Dawson which is almost a carbon copy of TJ Laramie uh, I'd say Laram, are sorry uh, Dawson has uh, obviously a little bit more UFC experience um, but kind of the same game you know these guys are takedown centric fighters but TJ Laramie in my opinion is a little bit more uh, confident and comfortable on the feet uh, Derek Miner, we kind of know his game this guy's a, a one round or max one and a half round uh, submission threat you know he likes to search for the choke he likes to you know go for your neck as much as possible he doesn't mind uh, pulling guard if he needs to um his fight against herbert burns on the contender series was some shit you know both guys uh were very comfortable in the jiu jitsu realm and it was going to be interesting to see who would be the one to to come out victorious what the submission And it was Herbert Burns that didn't mind pulling guard himself and then eventually worked to get a triangle choke on Derek Minner. But that really shows, you know, the the ride or die uh, type of uh, fight style that Derek Minner brings to the game. Uh, You know, after that contender series loss, he goes out there and finishes two guys, one uh, within a minute and then another within a a minute and a half, both by choke. Um... Pulls off, um, what is it, the Von joke against Charlie Dubray, um, a guy who, you know, 15 and 14 at this point, not that high level of an opponent. And then Terence McKinney, who also was on the contender series himself, uh, but yeah, was, was really you know, fluster when it came to the jiu-jitsu room. And then when Derek Minner went up against Grant Dawson, he had a couple of close submissions. Dawson knew the way to get out of those submissions and then was able to pour it on him in the second round and get that rear naked choke finish. Um, like I said, Derek Minner, in my opinion, is a one-round fighter. He'll go balls to the wall trying to get that submission. And, you know, it, it's paid off for him in the past. I think, it, what is it, 21 21- of his 23 victories are all by submission uh let me just confirm those numbers yeah 21 of 23 wins all by submission uh ridiculous 21 of 24 wins i should say sorry all by submission um you know insane that type of ratio to go out there and continuously submit guys time and time again but when he fights guys with a little bit more experience and when he fights guys that have a little bit more of a resistance uh he doesn't really come out on the winning end we got jordan griffin that he lost to kevin kroom who just made his ufc debut and pulled up a huge upset over uh roosevelt roberts uh and then obviously herbert burns and grant dawson and tj laramie is a guy that i would uh you know kind of categorize in that um in that group as well uh you know laramie this kid's been uh you know training mma pretty much his entire life not just a specific discipline but you know from the get-go his his pops got him and his brother into the game super super early and it's it's showing you know he's he's not just amazing at one thing he's he's great at a lot of things and that's what makes him such a special talent you know he does have three losses on his record that first loss that he had to Vince Murdoch was you know a robbery you know we do have I do believe the footage of that is on the tape and next I saw the fight myself too and uh, yeah that was a pretty bad uh, robbery and, uh, you know, T.J. Laramie definitely uh, deserved to win that fight. I believe uh, Cody Stamen was actually in Vince Murdoch's corner. And, uh, you know, now he corners T.J. Laramie and they're really good friends. And even he says, he goes, dude, you definitely won that fight. So it ob- absolutely makes sense. And then for some reason, he was not able to get past Alex Morgan twice. You know, every every fighter seems to have that one fighter that they're just not able to get past. You know, Uriah Faber had Matt Brown uh there's another fighter that's that's uh, slipping the tip of my tongue right now that i'm not able to get to but uh there are fighters that just seem to have that kryptonite fighter but uh, you know when they go out there and perform against other guys are going out there and just crushing them luckily for tj laramie relative relatively a quick turnaround for him uh you know he fought uh, august 11th against daniel swain on the content series uh got a you know a stoppage victory due to dr stoppage a rib injury and now here he is against Derek minner and You know, it's kind of a carbon copy fight, you know, just like Derek Minner last fought Grand Dawson, TJ Miller last fought Daniel Swain, who's kind of a Derek Minner in a sense that they just like to go for submissions and they're pretty much one round submission fighters. If this fight gets out of the first round uh you know Derek Miner is in a lot of trouble in my uh, my opinion TJ Laramie just lives for those grappling transitions and those wrestling transitions the kid has always wanted to step ahead of his opponents uh and he's getting really good training in there uh you know down in Vegas he's been down there for a while now uh getting a lot of good rounds in especially you know again I say that he stays with Cody and Uh, Those guys, you know, they train their asses off together. Uh, That's a solid training partner to have. Somebody that's up there in the rankings in the UFC, has solid UFC experience and then you know being able to uh help him uh prepare for guys that are like Derek Minner that have that one strict uh path to victory and if they're not able to pull off that path to victory they're okay with losing the guy's 11 losses on his record T.J. Laramie on the other hand is on the up and up he's on a four fight winning streak right now he's gonna make it five this weekend and I'm not just saying that because he's my boy but you know and you guys know me, I don't really like betting on UFC debutants, but this is a solid spot for him considering that, again, Derek Minner, one-round fighter. If he's not able to pull off a choke or something, TJ Laramie just needs to pretty much glue his chin to his chest, uh, not give up any chokes, uh, You know, be very cautious when he's going for any type of, ta- type of takedowns if that's the route he chooses to go because I feel like he could go out there and outstrike Derek Minner if he wants as well. But he brings a mixed game at all times. You know, whether it's pushing his opponent up against the cage, getting his opponents to the ground, outstriking them on the feet. He has solid leg kicks as well too. Something that I like seeing in his game. Uh, He's crisp with his boxing too. uh, Very crisp with his one too. It covers a lot of range. You know, he is one of the shorter guys in the division standing at 5'6", but he makes up for that with his speed and his explosiveness. Um, that you know he's talked about going down to 135 I truly don't think that's the best option for him Um, you know he I I brought it up to him and he said that Lance Palmer is a guy that he kind of looks up to in terms of somebody that's his stature and fights at that weight class and it kind of surprised me but Lance Palmer is actually a little bit shorter than him so he's making it successful he's making it work and when you have you know 15 fights at this point You kind of just are used to being the shorter guy. So he makes up for that. Um, You know, Robin Black even talked about it when you give up such a, uh, such a, reach discrepancy pretty much at all times you learn those tools and you adapt to that situation fight after fight after fight so it's not really a disadvantage anymore it's just something that you're used to and you kind of know how to sneak your way in so luckily for TJ explosive fast um great all around you know I I just find it hard to believe that Derek Minner is going to be able to wrap up a submission on my guy here so I'm taking TJ Laramie I think he's going to break him by you know the end of that first round and the second round is just going to be smooth sailing so I expect a TJ Laramie uh second round let's say mid second round uh tko uh but yeah i I definitely like him getting the finish here and it's a solid win for him too one one thing that i did discuss was um you know mentally this is great for him he's already fought at the apex against daniel swain now it's just a month later um you know instead of contenders race on the mat it's going to say ufc um so i I think it's i think it's a solid spot for him uh mentally still there Don't need to worry too much about it. Now it's just about building that journey within the UFC. And I know he's got this in the bag. So I'm going with TJ Laramie to win this fight via second round TKO. Andre Ewell versus Erwin Rivera. We got minus 210 on Andre Ewell and plus 175 on Erwin Rivera. Erwin Rivera has been staying pretty busy since he got signed to the UFC. Kind of last minute uh, to fill in to fight Gigo Chikazi back in May. Um, and since then he has fought Ali Alkaisi where he was able to just squeak away with the split decision victory um, in August and now here he is just over five weeks later, five to six weeks later against Andre Ewell and you know this is probably obviously a step up in competition from Ali Alkaisi but something similar to the Giga Chikadze fight. Obviously Chikadze and Ewell are kind of different strikers but uh, they still possess uh, much superior striking skills to Erwin Rivera, in my opinion. Uh, that Al-Kaisi fight was very close, in my opinion, uh, uh, for the Rivera fight. Just just due to, you know, I think Al-Kaisi had uh, some very good moments in there, too. Uh, Rivera pulled away a little bit in that third round, but that was a very, very close round. Um, you know, we did see Al-Kaisi... Go for a bunch of takedowns, but he wasn't really successful with them. Rivera being able to keep this fight on the feet, which is pretty much where he feels most comfortable. If you guys go back and watch this fight with Danny Sabatello, uh, which was his last Titan FC fight before he came into the UFC, you saw Sabatello was, uh, you know, American top team product that was very hell-bent on getting this fight to the ground and he just wasn't successful with it you know Rivera did a really good job in terms of keeping this fight on the feet and then eventually finding that TKO finish in the fourth round um even the fight before that fourth round finish via liver kick um it seems that he has trouble finding his mark in that first couple rounds, uh, which is why he's able to really put it on in the later rounds. Uh, but in this fight against Ewell, just as we saw in the fight with Chikadze, he's going to have a tough task to deal with that length and that reach advantage that Ewell is going to have here. Uh, in terms of specifics uh, that we're dealing with the metrics, we got 6 68-inch reach for Owen Rivera. Uh, Whereas we have 5'8, 75 inch reach for Andre Ewell. So we're talking about close to a 7 inch reach advantage here for uh, Andre Ewell. Ewell uses that reach quite well, too. Uh, You know, he's quick, uh, he's a switch stance fighter. you know, his kicks are really good. Uh, his knees are really good, too. Some things that he, he b- likes to bring up the middle. Uh, obviously, with him being the, the taller opponent here, too, that, that knee could definitely come up the middle and hit the chin of Erwin Rivera, just as it did in the Giga Chikazi fight time and time again. And, uh, you know, I, I'm quite um, impressed with the chin on uh, Andre will here as well. You know, the Marlon Vera fight, he got finished in the third round there. But that was a fight where, you know, uh, Vera has a much better... Or much more aggression, uh, you know, wasn't dealing with as much of a, a reach disadvantage, or at least, uh, you know, height disadvantage. Uh, you know, Vera is a much more aggressive fighter than Erwin, like I'm saying. And Erwin, you know, being the smaller guy, just like I said in kind of the TJ I mean, uh breakdown as well. Uh, when you are always the shorter the fighter, you always find a way to adapt and uh, try to close that distance on a you know time fight and fight again. And that's something that he that, that he's learned to do. But when he fights guys that have you know, the, the superior striking, uh, like the Giga Chikadze, and in this fight against Andre Uwe, kind of the same thing, uh, I think he's going to have a lot of trouble. The, the one chink that we did see in Andre Ubo's game, uh, in that, uh, Jonathan Martinez fight was that he could get hurt to the body pretty easily, it seemed. Um, it's not something that I saw over and over again in his fights, so I don't think it's something too much to, to dwell on here, because uh, I still think that the striking experience, um, an advantage that you will has here is going to be far too much you know he he's not like a a knockout puncher type of guy where he just goes out there and just starches dudes he hasn't even racked up a finish in the ufc since he's made his debut and even before the ufc actually most of his fights have come via finish but he's just not able to show that here uh in the ufc but this might be the fight for him. You know, Erwin Rivera really does duck into his shots when he's throwing his shots. Um, he, he does have a nice little blitz one too that he likes to throw. But Andrew Ewell is just so quick. He's pretty good with his uh, striking defense as well. So I believe he'll be able to get out of the way of most of these shots. And I don't think that, uh, you know, people are thinking that the, the smaller cage could favor you know wrestlers and power strikers as you know once they start throwing punches uh you know you will just back right up into the cage and then uh, you know just eat a punch i don't think that's going to happen i think we'll see you will uh you know um do a good job in terms of pivoting off the center line not just backing up, you know, uh, moving vertically as well too so that he doesn't really fall into that cage or anything like that. Um, yeah, I like Ewell here. He, his striking is just, it's very, very good. It's it's very fun to watch uh, and his speed is a killer as well, which I think is going to be the main difference here. I think anytime that Rivera tries to throw a, throw a strike, we might just see a Andre Ewell jab come in there and kind of stifle his forward movement. So I like Ewell here. I understand why he's a you know a minus two ten favorite at this point. Um, I think we'll see a little bit of money come back on on Rivera here, as I think there's there's a lot of people out there that are going to start to discredit Andre Ewell at this line. But I think he's more than deserving of it. Uh, and I think we'll see a a solid striking uh clinic here from Andre Ewell. Um, him to win inside the distance to see what those that line is because if it's appealing enough, I wouldn't mind taking a little bit of a sprinkle will to win by decision is minus 110 you will to win inside the distance is plus 375 so maybe maybe not the the line that I'm looking at or looking for the under two and a half is plus 225 not a, not a bad uh price line there if you guys want to take a little bit of a stab uh you know I, I do favor the the under two and a half whenever we're talking about guys that are mainly strikers and yeah you will has a notch a tko or or a finish in the ufc yet but you know pre-ufc is his record is pretty much all finishes um erwin rivera you know he's a finisher as well too that's even though he hasn't seen a finish or gotten finished in the ufc let's talk pre-ufc the guy has a ton of uh finishes on his record or even getting finished himself too uh four decisions out of uh 10 f- uh, wins and then in terms of losses he's gotten knocked out twice in decision three times so that's just some some st- statistics for you guys to ingest there but yeah I got Andre Ewell I'll say third round TKO uh, but just to be on the safe side I'll say decision uh, but I will keep my eye on the TKO prop Uh, if it's plus 500 or better maybe it's worth a little bit of a sprinkle because I do think he will be able to land on Erwin Rivera here uh, and uh, one of them might be the the finishing blow but uh, I do like Ewell I think he wins this fight Uh, again third round finish or a decision journey newson versus randy costa we got minus 140 on journey and plus 120 on randy uh it seems like a little bit of money is coming in on journey but it's still relatively uh closely lined um the fight doesn't go to decision obviously minus 265 and the over under is set at one and a half uh with the other being plus 105. so let's start off with Jer- uh, randy costa actually uh randy five and one right now Uh, his only losses to Brandon Davis which was his UFC debut uh, after only accumulating four victories and yeah they were all relatively short and what a minute 22 They were no longer than three minutes all put together he goes in there and just completely starches his opponents you know why his opponents currently or sorry his pre-UFC opponents currently have a record of 5 and 28 Yes, 5-28. One of the guys was like 0-10 now. You know, I mean, he got spoon-fed most of these opponents uh, on the cage titan scene. I believe that's like the New England-Boston scene over there. Um, you know, I'm surprised that he got the call-up to the UFC so quickly, considering we have such little tape on him. And he goes in there and fights, uh, you know, a legit dude. And Brandon Davis, who at the time was 9-6, 15 fights, had... You know, fought Zabin Magomed Sharapov before that. Had a, you know, had solid experience. And we saw what happened when Randy Costa can't go out there and uh, knock out his opponent in the first round. You know, the guy has interesting striking. You know, he, he strikes from range pretty well. He has some solid kicks. But at times you see him really like lose balance when he's like throwing his combinations. And he always ends his combinations with like this legit power shot, whether it's a uppercut or a hook or even a solid head kick it seems like his intentions at all times are to just go out there and just decapitate his opponent and that's only going to get you so far you know your your punching power is only going to take you so far especially when you're starting to fight guys that have a little bit more of a complete game uh you know so we saw him go out there lose to brandon davis cuz he wasn't able to go you know put him out in the first round we saw brandon davis easy get him down in that second round and then get that rear naked choke and let's not let's not forget that rear naked choke was I believe no hooks in, max. He had one hook in. Like it wasn't even, it wasn't even, a, he, he had no idea what to do in that situation. So that was a little bit concerning. Then we see him in the Boston Salmon fight, which was six months later in his hometown of Boston or, you know, close enough to hometown of Boston in Massachusetts and doesn't really show much difference the only thing i'll give to him is he did uh you know uh, stuff a solid takedown not even a solid it was a it was a takedown after being rocked by boston salmon uh and he stuffs that takedown digs for the unhook right away after sprawling gets him back on the feet and then just starts to put him away um you know it's it's gonna be tough for him to really make it in the ufc unless he like really changes up his game Like, I feel with his range and his movement, he could be an effective fighter if he doesn't go out there and try to decapitate his opponent in one round. You know, he's going to blow his wad pretty much all the time. Uh, You could almost, you know, guarantee anytime you you bet his fights that you can just bet the under one and a half. And, you know, it it will probably come to fruition, whether it's him knocking out his opponent or him either getting submitted or knocked out himself. Uh, That's what I'm kind of hoping for here. Not Saying that I'm betting the under one and a half, but Jerry Newson is no slouch. Jerry Newson is nine and two coming into the UFC. Uh, his only loss, um, uh, in the UFC, uh, actually was to Ricardo Ramos, which was his UFC debut. Uh, you know, very tough UFC debut, albeit. Um, you know, Nusen is a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. He has solid ground skills. Um, and obviously, he wasn't able to show it against Ricardo Hamush just because Hamush is probably a better jiu-jitsu player than him. Uh, and Hamush did some solid work on the feet, uh, you know, striking from distance. Then we see Newson go out there and just absolutely knock the fuck out of Domingo Parlarte uh, back at UFC 247. But I believe that fight got overturned to a no contest because uh, uh, Newson tested positive for marijuana. Yeah. Come on, dog. It's 2020. Let's get over that shit. Uh, his only other loss came by knockout to Benito Lopez. That was over four years ago now. So it's been a little while. Uh, and since then, he's put together a solid record. You know, some sketchy uh, records on his uh, record as well, too. So that's something to, to keep in mind. But, you know, going a full three rounds against Ricardo Hamosh and really holding your own, too. And then knocking out Domingo all Albeit, you know, 38 seconds. But it was a solid knockout. Um, but... An overall game, I know Journey Newsome adds absolutely blows Costa out of the water here. Um, I don't know how you can go into this fight being confident in betting Costa. Um, you know, you, you might as well just wait for that round one prop to come out. Uh, you know, him to win inside the distance right now is plus 280, which leads me to believe the the inside or round one prop might be like plus 400 or something like that, plus 500. That's the spot you take if you're betting Randy Costa here or if you're, you're backing Randy Costa here. I think that we'll see Junior, Jur, Journey Newson go out there and just get Costa down within that first round, or sorry, first minute, uh, and, and really start to work his brown belt. Uh, I, I think we'll see Newson latch on a submission pretty easily here. I don't think he'll have much to worry about in terms of the uh, Jiu-Jitsu coming back his way with Randy Costa. Um, you know, Newson is just, just so much better all around. Uh, you know, you could give the power and slight striking advantage to Costa. But, you know, we still need to see more tape on him fighting legitimate competition. And, uh, you know, I just hope that Newsom doesn't really fall too much in love with his striking, uh, you know, after knocking out Domingo Pilarte back in February. If he can go out there and just, you know, implement his game plan, stand a little bit just to get Randy Costa throwing and then just, you know, uh, counter one of Randy Costa's power shots with a beautiful uh, takedown of his own and then start working his jiu-jitsu. That's the easiest path to victory for Journey Newson here you know when I saw the line come out for this fight I was surprised I'm like what the fuck why why is Newsom such a close uh you know why are the odds as close as they are and now we're slowly starting to see the love for Newsom come in but uh yeah this fight should not be that closely lined like you're just legit depending on Randy Costa to go out there and get a first round knockout if he doesn't do that in the first round it's gonna be hard for him to you know get that uh you know the takedowns will come a little bit easier for newson and then it's gonna the power might be a little bit off for randy costa going into that second round maybe he'll have like a minute to to throw and really start to uh you know have some power left uh, but after that i don't think that it's gonna really translate for costa so if you're going in here betting randy costa You're absolutely expecting him to start him in the first round because outside of that, there's nothing that we've seen on tape or that we can actually point to to be like, All right, Costa will be okay if this gets out of the first round. We don't, we have no evidence of that. Uh, so you can't be going in there and blindly betting Randy Costa here. If you do want to back Costa and you are a believer of his power and his striking prowess. Just wait for that round one prop. I'm telling you, that's the best value you're going to get on Randy Costa because he's not going to go out there and outstrike Journey Newsom for three rounds or he's not going to go out there and grapple fuck Journey for three rounds either. So uh, Randy Costa first round is what the bet should be if you want to back Costa but me, myself, I'm going to be going with Journey Newsome here. I think there's a ton of value on him at this line as well. And I think I'm probably going to take a little bit of a stab at the inside the distance line, too, because I truly believe he's going to go out there and sub Randy Costa. I might even wait for that submission line, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, him to win inside the distance is plus 120. We might get a slightly better line if he, um, and, you know, if we choose him to win by submission. So I'm looking forward to what the odds makers drop that prop at. So. Lastly, Jerry Newsom to win this fight via first round submission. Jessica Rose Clark versus Sarah Alpar. We got minus 230 on Jessica Rose Clark and plus 190 on the UFC debuting um, Sarah Alpar. Let's start off with JRC. She's coming off two losses to Penny Kianzad and Jessica I. Before that, she ra- rattled off three straight victories over Karina Dam. And then her UFC debut, she beat Beck Rawlings by split decision and then beat uh, Paige Van Zandt by unanimous decision in a fight. She came in as uh it was a pretty much a dead pick um even fight um and she went out there and kind of made it look easy you know she was able to cl- uh control page on the ground for you know the majority of that fight and that's where she did the best of her work um she's she's an overall okay fighter like uh you know she's not special in anything but the one thing that is uh promising about her uh is her consistent um Uh, focus on uh, improving her physical, just her physical in total. Like, she looks like she's becoming a stronger fighter. Uh, She looks like she's working on her skills all around. Um, She moved out to Vegas, you know, a couple fights ago now and... And is doing very well over there. Um, She seems quite acclimated over there. I think she's working at the PI a lot, which helps. Um, But yeah, like physically, she just looks like a much stronger fighter. And I feel like that's really going to help it here, especially in a fight against Sarah Alpar, who's, uh, you know, Oklahoma State wrestler or something like that um you know a strong wrestler but uh didn't seem to really show too much of it in the fights that i was actually looking up of hers you know even in the jocelyn edwards fight where it was uh the lfa bantamweight title fight she won via split decision but man those first two or three rounds looked really really rough for her you know she got edwards down but she was having trouble keeping her down she even gave up her back a couple times she didn't seem like the the most um polished fighter either. Uh, over the last four f- yeah four years she's only had four fights um you know she's been in and out with uh with uh, uh injuries uh you know difficulty finding opponents uh and then obviously after the contender contender series she got signed to the ufc um and uh yeah she was scheduled to fight vanessa Melo and Duda santana those got canceled due to the c- coronavirus but here she is now fighting Jessica finding um You know, Alpar didn't look the most comfortable on the feet either. So that's a little bit of a concern. And she's like, she's kind of just... I don't know. I don't think that she's UFC level. You know, um, even though she's coming off of three straight wins, uh, I feel like she's going to have difficulty being successful in this game, uh, or at least in the UFC. You know, you're talking about a 135er at 5'4", uh, you know, a little bit on the chunkier side, seemed a little bit, uh, again, uncomfortable on the feet. It just doesn't look like she has too much there to offer. Um, you know, the Shanna Young fight that she won on the contender series, you know, it's all a win for her, but it didn't seem like Shannon Young was UFC caliber either. Um. yeah this this fight's tough man are you telling me or am I trying to tell you guys that you know you should go out there and bet Jessica Rose Clark at minus 230 considering how Sarah Alper looks nah I'd say just sit back don't even bother wagering our money on this fight like there could absolutely be a case where Sarah Alpar goes out there and Russell fucks Jessica Rose Clark, but I don't think that personally. I don't think that she'll be able to hold her down. I feel like Clark will have the advantage on the feet, uh, as I believe this fight will, you know, more more than likely play out most most often on the feet. Um, you know, Rose Clark does ha- did have a little bit of a, a tough uh stretch in our last couple of fights you know Jessica Ai, just a better striker in that fight and then penny cans obviously the better striker as well and we saw that you know play out in both fights uh so luckily for jessica here i think she's going to have the striking advantage uh the the resting advantage you know obviously you got to give it to sarah alpar but again i just don't think she's as effective with it as her credentials say uh, so that's going to be a tough thing for uh, Sarah Alpar to pull off. So I'll go with Jessica Rose Clark to win this fight via decision. Uh, but I don't want to risk any of my money on this. Like not even putting it in a hail mary or a lottery parlay. Just stay back. You know, see see what Alpar has to offer, uh, and let's see what kind of improvements Jessica Rose Clark has made. Uh, as I feel like she's she's really working hard on her game. But I'm not willing to trust her at that minus two thirty line. Jordan Espinosa versus David Dvorak we got minus 110 on both sides pretty much and it seems like there's a little bit of money coming in on Dvorak as this week has started to progress um and I think that uh, the closer the fight gets you might get a little bit better of a price on Jordan Espinosa let's start off with uh, David Dvorak I believe he's from the Czech Republic um yeah uh, he's had one fight in the UFC against Bruno Silva in a very close fight Uh, I believe that uh, Bruno Silva took the first round and then the second two you could give to Dvorak but they were close rounds nonetheless Uh, you know pre-UFC he had a decent career fighting decent opponents Uh, Igor Goncharov which was his second last fight before the UFC that kid was like 19 years old going into that fight so that wasn't was a little bit questionable the kid looked like stick and bones still like he was still growing into a man's body so you know I, I take that fight with a little bit of a grain of salt uh you know Dvorak was able to put him out uh within three minutes so that was a solid win for him there but you know still a little bit questionable and then the Arsen Tygibov uh fight uh he got a rear naked choke in the second round uh that was a weird way that he got it too like he had his back up against the cage and then kind of just like muscled him backwards and took his back it was it was kind of weird i don't expect uh, that type of takedown to work on jordan espinoza here but another thing about uh, arson um very questionable record for him to go sixteen and two, uh up until the point he met David Dvorak. Uh, you know, he fought a lot of questionable guys. Either their topology pages just aren't updated or anything like that, but you know, um 0 and oh, O and O two and four one and oh, oh and one four and 0 oh and three two and one oh and oh two and one like he's fighting guys with very very little experience so it's easy to see how that guy had uh, achieved such a solid record uh before going up against arson uh, before he went up against david Dvorak. so that was the most appealing name on his record just due to the other guy's record um but uh yeah once you really look through it it seemed like he was just fighting guys that were just you know not not really on his level at that time nor did they have experience uh that uh, arson had at the time so uh, i'm a little bit questionable about the type of experience that Dvorak was facing pre UFC. So obviously he was able to go out there and finish all these guys. Uh didn't see a decision in that amount of time uh and then goes in there and fights a really close fight against Bruno Silva um and and goes to a decision. You know what I mean? So that that's a little bit questionable. In this fight against Jordan Espinoza, it's going to be a little bit more difficult for him, in my opinion. Uh, you know, Dvorak. It seems like he has sharp striking. His hands are nice. His kicks are decent. Um, uh, it he seems to have a solid overall game. I think his his shining point is definitely his striking. Uh, his you know his jujitsu is good. Obviously, he has a couple submission victories under his belt. But again, I I kind of question uh, his his level of competition at that point. Um, Yeah, his his striking looks good, but I wonder what it's going to look like when he's fighting a guy that's as mobile as Jordan Espinoza. Espinoza moves very well. Um, You know, he's very fast. He has a lightning quick jab comes up from the hip like nothing too which uh really throws off a lot of opponents and I think it's going to throw off Dvorak here too um you know Espinoza had that rough stretch of two submission losses back to back to uh Matt Schnell and Alex Perez uh those look like they looked super easy uh, but I know that there is a level of difficulty that comes with them, You know, in the match now, fights now decided to pull guard with that guillotine and then eventually change it to over to a triangle choke and he was able to pull that off. And then the Alex Perez arm triangle choke, you know, I don't think a lot of people expected Perez to be able to, to finish that choke from half guard from the opposite side of the choke. Uh, even Espinoza himself, you know, before he went out, he gave a thumbs up and before he knew it, he he was sleeping he was just waking up uh staring at the lights uh so unfortunately I finished from there and then he comes back and looks fucking phenomenal against mark de la rosa uh completely lights him up but that stylistically that was a perfectly matched fight for him you know mark de la rosa wants to spam and try to get the takedowns and try to implement his jiu-jitsu when that wasn't working he's getting pieced up you know um jordan espinosa did a really good job in terms of keeping this fight on the feet sprawling not giving up any takedowns and then while he's sprawling and defending takedowns he's dishing out damages as well too so that was very promising and uh and and you know encouraging to see if you're an Espinosa ba- uh, backer the Eric Shelton fight very close you know uh, Shelton had a couple good uh, leg kicks in there had some solid pressure but it was Espinosa that was getting away with the better shots uh, for the majority of that fight um, and again in this fight the way that Dvorak and Espinosa match up I find it hard to believe that is going to be able to get off his striking uh, consistently enough against a mobile guy like Jordan Espinosa I feel like Dvorak's going to have to implement his grappling if he wants to see any success in this, but I don't feel like he'll be able to get Espinoza down. Uh, you know, Espinoza is one of the stronger guys that he's going to be fighting. Um, you know, Dvorak's been fighting boys pretty much his entire career. Not his entire career, but uh, a couple of his fights, at least most recently leading up to the UFC. Uh, Jordan Espinosa, you can just see by his physical stature. The guy's a strong dude. We saw in the De La Rosa fight, he has solid takedown defense. Um, you know, the Alex Perez one was weird in terms of how we got just this kind of like body lock taken down. I don't think that will see Dvorak be able to be uh, successful with something like that. Um, you know, I, I'm not the most overly impressed with Dvorak. I, I kind of thought that going into this I would want to bet Dvorak here. And I will give it to him. He has sharp hands, he has solid striking, but again it's gonna be tough for him to really track down Jordan Espinoza here. So I like Espinoza in this fight. Uh, I think he just outpoints Dvorak here. Um if this line gets a little bit better, maybe plus one twenty, plus one thirty uh, depending on the love that's going to come in on Dvorak. I might have to take a small shot on Jordan here. Uh, you know, I like him uh, in the spot. His, his striking is very, very, uh, um, you know, it's it's almost Ewell-esque, where it's just like quick, fast, uh, solid jobs, gets in and out of positions, doesn't really worry too much about getting hit because uh, he knows he's going to be able to get out of the way. And one of the tendencies I found from Dvorak is when he does throw his right hand, uh, he does like to, you know, uh kind of fade away to that side as well when he's trying to get out of exchanges so i wouldn't be surprised if we see espinoza kind of pick up on that and then try to counter that uh you know movement that david does over and over again pretty much whenever he throws that right hand and tries to get out of the way so I like Espinoza. I think he's just going to be a little bit too fast for him, a little bit too mobile, and will have a little bit more output. And I think that's just going to kind of stump Dvorak, as I don't think he's seen any type of uh, opponent that that brings this type of game plan. Uh, and this will be the first time where he sees this type of speed, in my opinion, too. So, uh, you know, Espinoza much more uh, seasoned, at least at a higher level, in my opinion. Uh, and I think it's going to show here against David Dvorak, who just needs a little bit more seasoning and needs to see these types of looks a little bit more. I can be really confident in him so I'm going to take Espinosa to win this fight by decision uh and I think it'll be a good learning lesson for David Dvorak. Mara Romero Barella versus Myra Bueno Silva we got the three name versus three name here uh minus 255 for Silva plus 215 for Barella we got the over under two and a half under two and a half at minus 105 um the spot that i'm liking most silva wins by tko at plus 675. so let's start off with myra Breno silva who's coming off a loss to marina morose on that uh ill-fated um what do you want to call it uh covid peak uh card like that night where uh you know pretty much everything went to shit, and that was the first ever event where they had no fans uh and then we went on like a two-month ufc hiatus um Yeah, she she lost that fight. She performed very well in that third round where she actually had a little bit of aggression. She was seeking the kill and she was really putting it on uh, Marina Moroz, who you know technically he was the better striker the quicker striker and smoother striker uh but uh, Silva just packs a punch in her uh in her strikes you know she she has a lot of power when she throws her kicks and her strikes she's very very uh impressive when she's able to put her hands together especially uh, following them up with kicks as well uh the downfall for her in that fight was just her lack of urgency when it came to the ground game you know um we did see decent ground game from her in that Julian Robertson fight where Robertson got her down uh and then when Robertson was just getting a little bit too greedy, uh, and and too. Uh, focused on getting the passes and getting the positions and then going for submissions uh, we saw Silva able to you know get to that half guard position and then eventually get up uh, but she had no answer for Moroz on the uh, when he got to the ground and Moroz is mainly a striker so it was interesting to see the fact that Moroz was able to have success in terms of holding Silva down with not much resistance in terms of getting back to the feet so that was a little bit of a concern but when this fight was on the feet you know Again, like I said, Moroz was a little bit slicker, uh, more technical on the feet, but Silva was packing way more of a punch, and she was, uh, you know, coming forward and really stalking Moroz, and when the, again, when the fight was in the striking realm, uh, we did see a little bit of an advantage for Silva, and I felt like if it stayed on the feet for the full 15 minutes, we probably would have seen her come out with the victory there, so unfortunate loss for her, she was a minus 160 favorite in that fight as well, so it's kind of shitty to to go out there and lose as a favorite. Um, Mara Romero Barilla on the other hand she's coming off of three straight losses um, surprised that she's getting a fourth shot especially surprised that she was actually scheduled to originally go up against Miranda Maverick uh, and unfortunately she had to pull out of that fight but um, you know the UFC is doing her no favors with booking her with some of these opponents uh, the Courtney Casey one she should have won that you know what I mean uh she she was the she was the slight dog in that fight but i mean like if you're not able to get past courtney casey at this point in your ufc career you probably shouldn't even be uh in the in the ufc um so she got first round armbar there uh she lost via decision to montana del rosa before that and then kicking off the losing streak was a, a tko finish uh via lauren murphy who's just been looking you know like a solid fighter since she's made that little bit of a turnaround and really started working with uh i want to say crew bob perez i believe the guy's name is um you know he's the one that works with Derek lewis down there in houston but lauren Murphy's striking has really uh, gotten uh you know really put together uh and i find that's the closest comparison we have to in this fight uh with her going up against bueno silva uh you know the the most shining moment i'd say for uh, barella right now has to be her victory over tyler santos you know 15 to no tyler santos coming into the ufc and a lot of people were heavy on her they're like all right this is the girl she's going to do well in the in the ufc and then we see barella go out there and just absolutely grapple fuck her and, uh, you know, Tyler Santos had nothing to, to really give. And everybody was writing off Santos after that. I remember Santos came back and fought Molly McCann. And all these people are going out there and betting Molly McCann like she's some fucking D1 wrestler now. And then Tyler Santos, you know, she she got her shit together. She was able to stay on the feet and really put it on uh, Molly McCann in that fight. But getting back to this fight between Borella and Silva, um, I think that we... like. Uh, first of all, I'm not trusting Buenos Silva at minus two fifty-five. I'm gonna put that out there. If it was closer to like minus one thirty or minus one forty, I'd probably take a small shot at Buenos Silva here because I think that Barello will have a little bit harder of a time of getting Buenos Silva down. Um You know, I I was very surprised that Morose was able to get her down with not much difficulty. But I feel like, um you know, Moreau's being a little bit more comfortable on the feet is easier for her to transition from the striking to the grappling room uh, without much of a resistance from Silva. Whereas Barella, you know, she doesn't seem as comfortable on the feet as Silva or as Moroz. So I feel like she would make her, you know, she would telegraph her shots um and she would make it, uh you, you know, pretty uh straightforward in terms of being like all right I'm about to go for a takedown hopefully Buena Silva would be go be able to go out there and actually like stuff that takedown and then continue to put it on her I think it's going to come down to Silva finishing her though I think uh you know TKO or sub what is her to win inside the distance though Umbrella, win it, uh, no, sorry, Silva wins inside the distance is plus 145, Silva by submission plus 200, and Silva by TKO is plus 675. So I wouldn't even mind, like, a small sprinkle on Silva to win by TKO, because I truly believe she'll be able to get the finish in this fight. Plus 145 is not that bad either, uh, but again, I... I- I just have something in the back of my head minus two fifty five. I can't trust Silva here. So if you do want to play this fight, I'd say a little bit uh, of a sprinkle on uh, Silva to win by TKO. That's probably the best shot here. I don't see Barella being successful over and over again with the takedowns. I just think she's too uncomfortable on the feet, where uh, Silva's going to really be able to pick her apart, stalk her. Uh, hopefully, she, her t- takedown defense is you know uh, a little bit short up, or at least you know somewhat there uh, and if not her takedown defense at least her get-up game you know I mean Uh, Barella can do a a solid job in terms of staying on top of her opponents and just riding rounds out so I do side with Silva here minus 255 is a little bit too steep for me to be comfortable uh, but I do think she gets the job done and I will say uh, we see Buenos Silva win this fight in the second round via TKO. Mirsad Bekdic versus Damon Jackson we got no odds on this fight yet. Um, it's the night before weigh-ins, uh, and obviously no odds. This fight just got announced earlier today. Um, so I was able to get into it and uh, kind of surprised what I came out with on the other end. Um I'm expecting there to be a lot of juice on Mirsad Bhaktik in this fight. You know, obviously, Damon Jackson stepping in on short notice, but I feel like a lot of people that are betting MMA nowadays are unaware of the fact that Damon Jackson used to be in the UFC. He's seen the bright lights. You've seen the, you know, everything that the UFC has to bring. And uh, unfortunately for him, he went 0-1-1. Sorry, 0-1-1-1. So he had a loss. He had... Um, so he lost to Yancey Maderos via a reverse Bulldog joke, then had a no contest to Honey Jason after Honey Jason popped for, I believe, all the all the steroids. And then he had a draw against Levan uh, Makishvili, and then he got cut. So unfortunately for him, uh, he got let go at that time. And now here he is coming back into the UFC after accumulating, what is that, two, four, six, eight. Eight, an 8-2 eight record, uh, his most recent loss being a 10-second knockout uh, to Movlid Kaibuliev uh, in PFL, but he did pull out a victory afterwards against uh, Mauro Shalech, Um that was at LFA 83 back in March. Um, Sketchy opponent in Morrow. You know what I mean? That guy, uh, he took a hiatus from 2014 all the way to 2019. And that was his second fight back uh, from the hiatus. So, uh, not, not the most uh, challenging of opponents. But, you know, before that, Damon Jackson was really putting on a solid show over there in LFA, capturing their title, uh, you know, finishing pretty much everybody. His record is insane, too. He has uh, 17 wins, uh, all but one coming via finish that's very very impressive and he's very uh very aggressive too uh, you know his nickname is the leech it makes absolute sense because once you watch him fight uh the guy's trying to get a hold of you and start to use his submission and his jiu jitsu He's a four to seven product training there down there with Safe Sayud. Uh so you know he's getting solid coaching there. Uh, but he's really looking to come into his own now. Like he's thirty two years old, he's pretty much in his prime, in my opinion. Um, you know he's gonna he's not going up a weight class to fight back here. Uh, you know they're they're gonna be fighting at one forty five. So it, it leads me to believe that David Jackson has just pretty much been training this entire time, staying ready, staying healthy, and staying in shape, waiting for that call. So. Um, you know, I feel like the advantage is slightly in his favor in this fight, as Bektic uh, was more so just focusing on Geragory, who has a completely different style. You know, I mean, I think that uh, Bektic was expecting more of a stand-up fight. Obviously, he would want to implement his wrestling, but I don't think he was looking uh, for much of a resistance uh, coming back uh, on the ground. If you were to implement his wrestling as much. Um, you know, Bektic is just on a weird run right now. Like, he's uh, 0-2 in his last two fights, two-fight losing streak, um, you know, losses to to Josh Emmett via finish, and then, uh, you know, a fight against Dan Ige where... You know, he got the takedown in the second and third rounds, but he didn't really do much with them. You know I mean? Obviously, he did enough in that second round to win that round, in my opinion. But that third round, like, he was getting a little bit lit up on the feet for that first half of the round, and then he finally got the takedown. And then he didn't do anything with it. You know I mean? Ige did a good job in terms of continuously making him work. And that kind of leads me to believe that Damon Jackson will be able to, you know, create some scrambling opportunities when the grappling does get uh when it gets to the grappling realms um damon jackson is not lost on the feet either in terms of like with his striking uh he has solid striking but it's mainly to get him to his grappling and his wrestling and i feel like uh you know bektic his wrestling is great but i feel like damon jackson might have an advantage with the jiu-jitsu uh so that's why i think things get a little bit interesting um i'm like, a part of me is expecting the odds to drop here at plus 300, plus 350, maybe even plus 400 for Damon Jackson, and I think that would be a complete uh, mistake on the odds maker's part, and it will be a mistake on anybody's part who's, you know, just going out there and parlaying Bektic and just saying, okay, you know, uh, Damon Jackson coming in on short notice. He's probably just going to, you know, go in there, uh, you know, take this hazing to get back into the UFC and then come back as a more complete fighter the next time. I don't think that's the case here. Again, one thing you really need to note is the fact that David Jackson is willing to take this fight at featherweight. You know, I mean, if he goes out there and actually makes weight, you know, the, the weigh-ins are probably within about 12 hours or so. But if he goes in there and makes weight, looks good, it makes us believe that he's been, like, pretty much been training this entire time. Like, this isn't Erwin Rivera stepping in on short notice against Giga Chicago. You had a higher weight class you know i mean this is damon jackson in shape ready to go was waiting for the call, waiting for somebody to pull out. Luckily for him, it was Eduardo Garagori and uh and he steps in against a solid opponent, Emerson Becht. But I think Bechtich is gonna be a, for a little bit of a surprise. And that's tough to say. I was high on Bektich. Like I really believed like he, he was gonna be a title contender sooner or later. But he's really fallen on hard times. Uh you know, I d I don't think his motivation is up there. Uh you know, he, he he's gotta be down on himself considering those two losses that he's incurred and then he's finding a guy you know, uh, Damon Jackson here, who's who's a vet. Like he has more fights than Rusad Bektich, which is hilarious too. You know, it's only what is he? Uh, this is going to be the twenty second fight for Jackson, and this will be the seventeenth fight. So, you know, only five more fights of experience. When did they start? Damon Jackson, his first pro fight was in twenty twelve. And uh, Bechtich was in twenty eleven, so you know David Jackson just slightly more uh, active, uh, but yeah, I, I think that this fight will start to get into the grappling realms. Uh, and again, Bekdic didn't look the most comfortable on the feet either, especially against Ige, who in my opinion is, yeah, he's gotten better with his striking, but he's mainly a jujitsu guy or, or or more notable to be a jujitsu guy and does his best work on the ground. Uh, but he was having a lot of success against Bektich. so I expect this fight to be quite competitive. If you're giving me better than plus 350 on Damon Jackson here, I'm going to take a little bit of a stab, and I think it's totally worth it. But... Do not, do not go out there and parlay Mirsad There There's too many unknowns about him. Mentally, we don't know where he's at. Uh And again, the, sh- the late notice fight, I feel like it's more advantageous for Damon Jackson than it is for Mursad Bektich. So, uh yeah, I'm going with Damon Jackson. I'm going to take the upset here. I feel like we see him get the second or third round stoppage here. And sorry, last thing uh, about Bektich. He still doesn't look the most impressive in third rounds, and that seems to be his kryptonite. Like when he, when the fight gets late, uh, he seems to you know, not have as much horsepower, and yeah, he did, you know, uh, pull off that uh, takedown and stuff against uh, Dan Ige in the third round, but it was not impressive, like, it wasn't, he didn't do any damage with it, he was pretty much just holding, and I feel like he's going to have a little bit more of resistance from Damon Jackson, who, in my opinion, is a little bit more of an offensive jiu-jitsu player than at least Dan Ige is, uh, especially when it comes to the MMA realm, so I do like Damon Jackson here. I'm going to call a second or third round sub, uh, and we're looking at another, you know, last minute replacement uh upset just like we did uh, i believe it was last week or the week before with kevin kroom and uh roosevelt roberts so uh i like damon jackson here and again you give me plus 250 or better i'm taking a little bit of a shot on jackson here probably even inside the distance too so uh, i'm going damon jackson via second or third round submission kevin holland versus darren stewart We got minus 250 on Kevin Holland and plus 210 on The Dentist. Uh, The over-under is at 2.5 with the under 2.5 being plus 155. Uh, It's a little bit intriguing if I say so myself. So let's start off with Kevin Holland. Uh, He's coming off a win over Joaquin Buckley. Uh, He stepped in after Trevin Giles pulled out literally minutes before they were supposed to walk out the week before. Uh, So on August 8th, we see Joaquin Buckley get the call up uh, so that Kevin Holland can just stay in Vegas, get that fight over with, uh, and start moving on from there. Um, this is going to be the fourth fight for Kevin Holland in 2020, so it's good that he's staying active, uh, and this is a solid opponent for him and Darren Stewart to continue to move up the ranks. Um, we know Kevin Holland's style, and it's awesome to see his evolution since his UFC debut against, uh, Thiago Tiago Santos. Uh, we did see him on the contender series in 2018, where he went to a decision against Will T- Santiago. That seemed like a fight that he could go out there and get the finish. Unfortunately, he was, was not able to, um, but he did make his UFC debut against Thiago Santos uh I believe that yeah that was a weight class uh, no sorry that was when Thiago Santos was still a um I believe he was a middleweight at the time still so it wasn't too big of a step up uh for Kevin Holland uh, who is a middleweight he's a thin middleweight too he's not that He's not that heavy of a guy either. Uh, he comes back and beats uh, John Phillips via rear naked choke after that. Uh, goes to a split decision with Gerald Mirchard. Uh, unanimous unanimous decision over Alessio Di I uh, Gets tapped by Brendan Allen. Um, and then we see him pull off two straight victories uh, and two finishes over Anthony Hernandez and Joaquin Buckley. Um, it's great to see him utilize his length, his awkwardness. Um you know even the mind games that he plays inside the cage as well it's 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 a joy to see it's fun to see especially now that we have no crowds either you really hear what he's saying to his opponents and you know he's not like talking shit or anything like that but he's he's trying to get in the head of his opponent and really like fuck with him and I feel like he's going to obviously do that here with Darren Stewart too but I'm not sure if he'll be able to really get into Darren Stewart's head uh with that said I still feel like um you know Kevin Holland does a good job of really like Uh, rolling with punches uh his height really allows him to really uh evade punches and and really take the the pop off a lot of uh his opponent's shots you know the amount of shots that joaquin buckley was landing on uh kevin holland and the way that holland was able to again roll with them and evade those shots uh we didn't really see kevin holland in much trouble in that fight you know he 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 does just such a good job of just um being able to avoid his uh, opponent strikes and his striking defense is, is really top-notch at least in my opinion especially when he's fighting guys that are a, a lot shorter than him so he is 6-3 with an 81 inch reach and we got six foot with a 74 inch reach for Darren Stewart so Stewart's gonna have to deal with that uh, overcome that uh, reach discrepancy um, I find it interesting that Darren Stewart uh, so he fought August 8th against Patolo Pitolo uh, and now here he is uh just about what is that five or six weeks later against kevin holland it's got to be a little bit taxing though to go back and forth um from the uk uh and then back to, to to vegas you know in such a short amount of time especially with everything that's going on too i gotta feel like that's that's not as uh you know advantageous to do compared to kevin holland who i believe is just coming over from texas uh so that's just something to keep in mind here um I do like Kevin Holland here. I I think that he's just the overall better fighter. Um, I feel like Darren Stewart just didn't look the greatest in his fight with Mackie Patola last time around. Uh, you know, there's not too much to really take from the Fabinski fight other than, you know, what we already knew. Fabinski just goes out there, grapple fucks dudes. Uh, and, uh, you know, if the guy is not able to pull off a submission, Fabinski will more than likely ride out a decision uh, over 15 minutes. Um, I'm interested to see the approach that kevin holland is going to take here uh is he going to go for takedowns is he going to try to keep this fight on the feet and try to find the chin of darren stewart you got to believe that his best path to victory is taking darren stewart down and implementing his jiu-jitsu he's a high level jiu-jitsu player with travis luter being uh the guy that's backing him um you know even though darren stewart got a submission last time around against Mackie patolo it's fucking Maki Pitolo. You know what I mean? It's it's not another uh like high level jiu-jitsu guy that he's uh, that he's fighting. Uh, you know, again, Darren Stewart was seemed a little bit underwhelming in that Mackie Patola fight. We saw Patola land on him numerous times. Uh Stewart just didn't look right in there. I'm not sure exactly what it was. Um, so it leads to me to believe that you know we're not really getting the best Darren Stewart, and I I find it hard to believe that he's gonna go in there and, and give Kevin Holland a run for his money. Um, you know, Stewart does well against guys that kind of that are willing to stand in front of him and and willing to exchange in these firefights whereas Kevin Holland I feel like just his movement his awkward style his his range the way he holds his distance his kicks um and then obviously being able to um integrate his takedowns which is what I think that you'll do here um I I, I just find it hard for to to see a way that Darren Stewart's going to be able to come out on top um you know color me surprised if uh, Kevin Holland decides to go out there and strike for 15 minutes straight without shooting a takedown. I truly believe that the takedown is where he's going to want to go here, and I feel like we, we could see a submission from Kevin Holland here. Plus 155 for the under 2.5 is not that bad of a uh, slot. I might take a little bit of a shot on it because I feel like either we'll get a Darren Stewart knockout, which I don't think is likely just due to, you know, Kevin Holland's durability and, you know, we've seen him eat so many heavy shots in the uh, before, uh, or we see Kevin Holland, you know, drop or even get the takedown and pull off a submission on Darren Stewart here. So I, I like the under two and a half. I, I like that they're giving us 12 and a half minutes compared to the seven and a half Uh and I do like Kevin Holland here. He's on a roll, you know. I I feel like, uh, especially that that laser beam right hand that he landed on Joaquin Buckley to put him out in that third round. That was a thing of beauty. I was I was very very impressed with that. And say what you want about Joaquin Buckley, especially taking that fight on short notice. Um, Man, that that was beautiful. That was absolutely beautiful. So I am going to take Kevin Holland to win this fight. I think he's going to do it probably second round or third round. But I believe that the submission is the way that he's going to go. So I'll go with third round submission for the trailblazer, Kevin Holland. Random Marcos versus kenzie Dern, we got minus 165 on Dern and plus 145 on Random Marcos. And it seems like this line has pretty much held steady. Actually, it opened up minus 205 for Dern and it's slowly gotten bet down to Random Marcos. And I i kind of get that. Uh, obviously the main prop here is uh Dern to win by submission, which is at plus 145. That absolutely makes sense. So let's start off with Random Marcos who has this weird pattern in the UFC where she's pretty much just exchanging wins and losses. Uh, Since she made her UFC debut against Jessica Penny, she lost. And then she's just legit win-loss, 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 win-loss. Draw to Marina Rodriguez. Then beats Angela Hill, loses to Claudia Godella, beats Ashley Yoder. And then most recently, loses to Amanda Hibas. Uh, That was pretty much the fight right before COVID kicked off. So that was uh, a little bit concerning there. you know that that was just such weird circumstances in that fight but uh you know shout out to ronda marcos for even taking that fight because she was a plus 315 dog going into that fight um this is a fighter like i i knew uh uh ronda marcos even before she made it to the ufc before she made it to the ultimate fighter she's a fighter from windsor ontario just you know A couple hours away from where I'm at here in Toronto. And uh, I worked one of her fights when she fought in Ottawa. Uh, And, you know, she she was highly touted at the time, you know. Uh, A lot of people are high on her. She was undefeated back then. Uh, It was up until the point she fought Justine Kish uh, for RFA. That she uh, t- uh took her first L in her pro career, uh, then she fought one more fight and then got uh put onto the Ultimate Fighter season. Uh, Justin Kish was also on that season as well, but I believe she got injured. She wasn't able, so she wasn't able to to compete in that, uh, in that season or at least for the majority of that season. But we've seen Ronda Marcos like you know get better and better. Like I remember when she was on the regional scene, her. Main thing was just wrestle fucking people. You know what I mean? Just taking them down and just grinding them out. That was kind of her path to victory pretty much the entire time. But now we've seen her evolve. You know, she moved her most of her training camp from Windsor to to, to Detroit in, in this span of time. And we've seen her implement this weird striking style too like she doesn't have the traditional boxing stance or mma stance she just she's a little bit wild she's a little bit just more flowy than anything and i feel like that gives some fighters a little bit of issues um you know obviously she doesn't have the most power or pop on her shots so she's more so looking to out volume you than actually like put you out and uh know it's worked out for in some of her fights uh you know the Angela Hill armbar was a little bit uh surprising I, I actually had Angela Hill in that fight and I thought that Hill would do a good job of like staying away and you know staying away from takedowns and stuff like that but obviously you know Angela Hill goes out there and plays a little bit too long in the guard and gets submitted um but yeah in the Marina Rodriguez fight she took that entire third round and rode it on top, you know, she did a really good job of stifling Marina Rodriguez in that fight. Uh, but the the main question here of Veranda Marcos is kind of her fight IQ. Like, we know that she's going to want to keep this fight on the feet, but she sometimes doesn't do that good of a job of, you know, making sure the fight stays on the feet. You know what I mean? Like, the Claudia Gadelha fight was so uneventful that there really wasn't anything to really take from that fight because both the women seemed very hesitant to implement their game plan uh with uh with Mackenzie Dern here we know her wrestling isn't like super top-notch or anything like that but she is quite strong you know she is she has some strength uh you know judging from her Instagram posts and stuff she she even tweeted or sorry uh, posted recently that uh this is the the most she's ever trained for a fight you know so that's something to to take into consideration I'm not a guy that usually gets honey dicked by those types of proclamations by these fighters but she looks in really good shape it doesn't seem like weight will be an issue from her uh you know moving forward now um uh, but I just have questions about both ladies it, it's going to be very skeptical like I I think that if this fight primarily stays on the feet I think we'll see Ronda Marcos go out there and outpoint Mackenzie Dern I think that's an absolute possibility here but I don't trust Ronda Marcos to be able to keep this fight on the feet I don't know what it is but saying that I don't feel comfortable in thinking that Mackenzie Dern is going to 100% get this fight to the ground like I don't know which way this fight is gonna go, and I kind of, I kind of see it as fifty-fifty because if it stays in either one's realm, that one person is gonna have uh, such a big advantage in terms of like I'm not saying that Randa Marcos is fucking Israel Adesanya on the feet or anything like that, but she will be able to produce enough uh, output and pressure to 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 uh, you know stifle whatever Mackenzie Dern has on the feet, um, you know Dern hurt. Her fights are just so weird. Like, let's just take her UFC run in, into consideration here. She's had four fights in the UFCs in the UFC. She's three and one. Uh, Ashley Yoder that fight, you know, she uh, did a good job in terms of uh, you know uh, implementing her game plan against Ashley Yoder in that fight. The Amanda Cooper fight, uh, she drops Cooper and then gets the rear naked choke. We all know how that goes uh, or how that went. The Amanda Hibas fight, that was like her first legit fight against a woman that was good everywhere, pretty much. You know, Amanda Hibas, really good jiu-jitsu player. Obviously, not the level of Mackenzie Dern, but good enough to, you know, pass by in the the in the MMA sphere. And then, obviously, in the striking realm, Hibas had Dern eaten up in that fight. Uh, and then Hannah Cyphers, you know, um, she looked decent, you know, starting off in that fight. And then, uh, you know, we saw Hannah Cyphers, you know, kind of have a brain fart with her fight IQ and stay a little bit too long in the in the jiu-jitsu room, And then she gets uh, knee-barred. So uh, I'd say Random Marcos here is probably the second most uh, threatening opponent that Mackenzie Dern has at in the UFC. Uh, and this would be a good telltale in terms of like where her skills truly are at. Um, I remember in the Cyphers fight... Um, Michael Bisping was like talking about how good Mackenzie during striking looked. Yeah, it looked decent, but it's nothing to like. He gets super excited about her hands looked quick for like one combination. You know what I mean? And she's finding Hannah Cipher's out here again. Cipher's had the striking advantage. She had a lot of power behind her shots too. But, you know, we need to see more from Mackenzie Dern to really be like, all right, her striking is getting a lot better. And this would be a good test for her because I do think that Margos will... uh, Fuck, see that... I find it so hard. I don't know uh, who will be successful in implementing their game plan. Is it going to be Dern? I truly think that Dern will be able to, like, fuck around on the feet for long enough to lull random Marcus into thinking that this is mainly going to be a striking battle, and then she can pull out uh, a takedown at any point. And I fully expect Dern to be able to you know get a takedown like i had an arm throw or something like that like those types of takedowns still work and if Mackenzie dern is truly in shape i think she can overpower uh, random marcos here and actually drag this fight to the ground so um ah, fuck it's gotta if you're betting this fight i feel like it's a dog or pass situation um but if you really want to take dern i think that uh, the submission is the best way to go um you know, I'm not a 100% believer in Random Marcos' submission defense, especially against a girl like Mackenzie Dern. So I think if Dern gets this fight to the ground, we'll see her get this uh, submission victory. Uh, but uh, yeah, if you're betting this straight up, you probably got to go with Ronda Marcos. I, I feel, again, I feel like it's a 50-50 fight. And considering the odds, you got to go with the value side, which, in my opinion, is Ronda Marcos. However, I'm still going to be picking Mackenzie Dern to win this fight. Um, yeah, it's... I need to see this fight play out to really get a better read on Mackenzie Dern and see what kind of fighter she truly is. Uh, and this is a stiff test. You know, Rana Marcos is a vet she's a top 10 gatekeeper you know top 15 gatekeeper if you want to call it that she's fought you you gotta give her a round of applause for the amount of like experience that she's managed to accrue and the fighters that she's gone out there and fought you know amanda Hebas, uh claudia godilla nina ansaroff marina rodriguez juliana lima alexa grasso carla Sparza, carolina kavalkovich like she's going out there and fighting the top of the top in this division uh you know and she's pretty much gone 500 uh in the ufc uh but yeah i think that Dern during- is is going to find a way to get this fight to the ground and she will be able to pull off a submission so I'm going to call a second round submission for Mackenzie Dern uh the over under I believe is at yeah it's at two and a half with under being plus 100 so you know you can either go the under two and a half you can go Dern by submission or Dern inside the distance if that's what you like otherwise I think the straight value here is on random Marcos regardless uh official pick for this podcast I'm going with Mackenzie Dern via second round submission johnny walker versus ryan span we got minus 125 on johnny walker and plus 105 on ryan span the over under obviously at one and a half with the under being plus 100 uh but the line that's most intriguing to me is walker wins by tko at plus 130 or plus 150 at some spaces uh let's start off with johnny walker my man fell in love in ireland it seems um if you go through his instagram he tags his new girl into it I guess she's not really new you know uh, they've had pictures together now for like 38 weeks or something like that so uh you know it's interesting that he he made the jump to go uh over there um I don't think that was really coinciding with him moving to SPG Ireland um you know uh I believe he was already dating her before the Nikita Krylov fight so and we all know about the Nikita Krylov fight he actually um uh he he had that training camp at uh at, at TriStar and i find it weird with Johnny Walker now like we've seen him i believe we've seen him go to Jackson's now we've seen him go to TriStar and he literally spent one training camp at TriStar and now he's hopping over to um SPG Ireland um Walker's a tougher guy to coach And you kind of let him. You gotta let him be himself, in a sense. Like a lot of his game does come from, um, a lot of his game does come from his power, his his athleticism, and his explosiveness, Um, and his strength too. The guy's six six uh you know he's absolutely shredded for the division I think he'll be the stronger one here too against Ryan Span and he'll be the quicker one too um so it's tough to go in there and be like all right this coach is going to be the one that sets him straight this is the one that's going to make him more technical or make him smarter or whatever the fuck it is I don't think that's going to happen with Johnny Walker I think you just got to give him the 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 nuts and bolts of some of the basics in terms of like when he's up against the cage in terms of like digging for underhooks and how to stay off the cage and and those small things but otherwise the guy's just a loose cannon and you kind of let it gotta let him do that so that he's able to go out there and perform and get these knockouts because it's going to be tough to really see him go out there and get decision victories um this could be a fight where he could get a decision victory but i think that uh the the knockout is probably uh more favored here um at least in my mind one thing I noticed in that Nikita Krylov fight is he didn't seem to respond pretty well to Farah Zahabi. And I'm not sure if that was just like a, an issue going into the into the fight or throughout the training camp or, you know, the reasoning as to why he left Tribes, TriStar so quickly and didn't bother giving it at least another try, you know no pun intended there but uh you know for another fight getting getting it uh you know letting it settle in a little bit more seeing if they need at least more than one fight to get comfortable with each other but he just was not it didn't look like he was responding at all to frauds in those corners I would highly suggest for you guys to go back and watch that Nikita Kurov fight and just look at their exchanges in the corner like it it just seemed so off it was weird um so you know obviously that was an unfortunate fight uh but Nikita Kralov is highly talented um solid relentless wrestling uh and mix that in with solid jujitsu, uh and that's where i think he uh Krilov has the advantage over span is the jiu-jitsu and the technical aspects of it that's why i think he was able to keep johnny walker down for as long as he has uh ryan span on the other hand i'm seeing a lot of takes out there with people saying that all right all he needs to do is take johnny walker down and he's going to be smooth sailing if you go out and watch those fights with johnny walker where he takes some of these guys down one he has trouble taking them down let's get that first and foremost clear two he has trouble keeping them down Sam Alvey and Sam Alvey's always done a good job in his career in terms of like takedown defenses and staying on his feet uh but you know sam alvey's a fat light heavyweight you know he's a he's a fat middleweight uh, essentially like when he was truly fighting and was actually taking it seriously the guy was a middleweight and now he just doesn't give a fuck about like really staying in shape he kind of just you know uh focuses on his power and hopes that enu- that's enough to to get him victories in these fights obviously that wasn't that didn't really come to fruition that fight against ryan Spann. but he was close you know sometimes he did hurt ryan Spann. And if we look back at Ryan Spann's couple fights, so we, we know the last loss that he incurred was the, uh, the Carl Roberson uh fight uh the contender series Roberson is also now a middleweight let's not forget about that but Roberson elbowed him to death within 15 seconds but since then he's been on a what five six seven eight fight winning streak but questionable competition in my opinion so myron davis if you guys remember him he was on the ultimate fighter but that dude's like again a fat middleweight like he's not really a true light heavyweight uh and we saw ryan sparen easily get myron down and myron was able to find his way back to his feet so i i find that a little bit concerning. Alex Nicholson, another fight that he had, uh, you know, that was uh, two or three fights removed from his uh, Carl Robertson knockout. Um, There was a moment in that fight where Ryan Spadden was close to getting knocked out. You know what I mean? Alex Nicholson was defending a takedown, and he was hitting him with a beautiful hammer fist while defending the takedown, and it hurt Span. you know? It caused Span to move backwards and fall to his back, and if Alex Nicholson had a little bit more power or a little bit more cardio, he probably would have been able to finish that fight. But it seemed like he gassed himself out trying to finish Ryan Span, and then Spann did a good job in terms of, like, countering one of his punches and uh, putting him out and finishing him with, like, less than 30 seconds left in that first round. Um... Emiliano Sordi didn't really get a chance to get going that guy has some solid power but he got guillotine choked within 26 seconds Luis Enrique is a meh fighter you know kind of slow uh Noguero we don't really even need to say much about him uh Devin Clark not really a knockout puncher wants to go out there and try to try to wrestle fuck you uh and Ryan Spann you know did what he did guillotine choked him and then the Sam Alvey fight that one got a little bit sketchy you know um Sam Alvey had some moments in there where he clipped and hurt Ryan Spann. So... I think Johnny Walker just possesses this next level of, of power that Ryan Spann really hasn't faced since he fought Carl Robeson. I think the closest since that fight was uh, Alex Nicholson, and we saw, you know, Nicholson was able to hurt him. I think if Ryan span tries to like get too desperate with these takedowns, we'll see some of these elbows come down and and really hurt Ryan span I think he'll have a tough time getting Johnny Walker down, and I think he'll he, he'll even have a tougher time in terms of keeping Johnny Walker down. The dude's strong. The dude is the dude is. Uh, fast that's another thing that span's gonna have to put up with here is the, the 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 speed advantage that johnny walker will have and then obviously the power we know the power is all in johnny walker's favor here um my my only concern with johnny walker is like the the continuous moving of caps and again I, i'm not i don't think it's a huge huge factor uh but more so for me it's mentally like where is he at mentally is he does he feel at home now like he you know, he's, he gets to stay in Ireland, he's, he gets to, gets to stay with his girl now too, who he seems to have a really close relationship with. So maybe that's something that helps him, uh, you know, train a little bit better or have a little bit more motivation or, you know, just... Uh, Again, just has more motivation at the end. I I think that's what it comes down to. But I think that uh, this is a good matchup for him. And I see why Walker is slightly favored. You know, pre tape, I I was leaning Span. I thought he was the more complete fighter. But when you really, uh, you know, knock it down to the nuts and bolts of this fight, I just think the speed and power of Johnny Walker is going to be a little bit too much for Ryan Span here. So I do think we'll see a first round KO for Johnny Walker after Span, you know, has a little bit of difficulty in terms of taking Johnny Walker down um again i'm not sure where this narrative of like span being like a takedown machine is coming from he's not like he he struggles to to get guys down and really keep them down especially guys that are bigger and stronger than him with with johnny walker being probably the biggest and strongest that he's fought up until this point so i think we'll see span struggle to get this fight to the ground and i think we'll see johnny walker uh pull off a uh, a first-round KO here, something uh, fast that Ryan Span doesn't really see coming, uh, a little bit uh, power behind it, and I truly believe that the, the durability of Ryan Span is really not up there, and this is the first time we're seeing him fight somebody with legit power, uh, at least since Carl Roberson, so I like Johnny Walker, first-round KO, uh, and I'm looking at that KO prop once it comes out on most of my uh, most of my websites. Hamzat Chmaev versus Gerald Mearshart we got minus 380 on Chmaev and plus 315 on GM3 the over under is set at one and a half with the under being minus 120 and I love that yeah <laughs> you guys know I love me a violence bet and I think this is a prime spot just for that so let's start off with Hamzat. the guy has The the guy debuted in the UFC uh, July 15th and just came in like a wrecking ball. Um, Absolutely went in there and just demolished John Phillips. Shout out to John Phillips for even making it to the second round. And then, uh, you know, 10 days later, literally 10 days later, they book him again against Reese McKee, who I believe was a champion over in Gage Warriors. But stylistically, just a horrible matchup. Um, You know, mainly a striker, likes to keep his distance. And Hamzat was having none of that. He just went in there, fucking bull rushed the dude, got him down and just, you know, made reese mckee lose a bunch of brain cells that night it was very very unfortunate uh but this is a finally in my opinion a solid test for uh hamza chemaev we're talking about gerald meershardt 44 fights uh 44 pro mma fights already um you know decent and solid jujitsu jitsu background uh but sometimes he's just a little bit slow um you know a little bit plodding um And really, um, I feel like his strength sometimes is a little bit of his uh, is is the the, one of his strong suits, and that will probably come into um, a play here. We know that Hamzad is mainly a 170-er, but he wants to take the 185-pound division by storm as well. And he has the frame for it, too. You know, maybe not as uh, thick as Gerald Mearschard, but I still believe that, uh, you know, the time that he, he does spend with, uh, you know, Alexander Gustafson, Alir Latifi, a lot of the bigger guys over there at that All-Stars gym, uh, it's going to pay dividends here for him because uh, he's just used to fighting guys or training against guys that are much bigger than him. So I don't think uh, anything that Gerald is that, uh brings to this fight is going to be too much of a uh something for Hamza to worry about so uh we know Hamza's style the guy likes to go out there take his opponents down or just outstrike them if he wants to uh and then makes him a takedown or two and then start to pound their face into the canvas um I don't see any takedown defense from Gerald Mearschardt you know what I mean like he we're talking about a guy who pulled guard against fucking uh Jack Hermanson and then just paid for it unfortunately um You know, I highly doubt we're going to see him try to pull guard here against Hamzat, unless Hamzat just you know decides to go out there and tries to outstrike Gerald Muirshard. He's going to be the quicker guy. He's more explosive, way more athletic too. And even going into taping this fight, I was like, all right, you know this this is going to be his first legitimate test. Uh, You know, I'll probably stay away from Hamzat here. Uh, Maybe sprinkle GM3 sub or something like that. But after running the tape, man, it's it's really tough to make a uh, to to make a, a a. a solid case for Gerald Mearschardt you're strictly if you're betting Gerald Mearschardt here you're strictly thinking that okay his jiu-jitsu is good enough to one um uh sweep Hamzat because he's not going to go out there and take Hamzat down let's be real I believe that Hamzat's uh the takedown defense will be good enough for him to be able to you know if this fight does hit the ground he'll be the one that's on top my only little bit of concern it's a very slight concern uh is if uh jordan pulls off a sweep of some sort uh and even that like i, I just don't see that happening and if uh at, at the current odds i just don't see a, a justification of betting jordan mirshard here i still think there's a little bit of value on hamzad at this line let's be honest obviously he needs to go out there and prove it but everything that we've seen from him like i legit went through all the fights that we have on the tape index of this guy he doesn't show any weakness like he shows solid awareness um i think the best jiu jitsu guy that he's faced to this point was a guy named marco Kisich uh who was 4 and 0 at the time this is november of 2018 uh Kisic is now 5 and 1 but the guy was 36 at the time you know what i mean he's uh, he did start in jiu jitsu late um even hamza was a little bit um cautious about you know messing with him in the jiu jitsu room right off the bat but then eventually he took him down and started pounding his face and um But uh, yeah, I think Gerald is just he seems durable at times but this is going to be the first time he's fighting a guy that like throws bombs like this from on top and is just as aggressive as Hamzat is here so uh, instead of playing Hamzat or even parlaying him here I do prefer the under one and a half because I think that if uh you know if Gerald does pull off a reversal of some sort he's gonna go from sort of some sort of choke or or submission or if he throws up something from the bottom uh you know it's probably going to happen under the one and a half mark if this goes over the one and a half mark I think Gerald is just going to be too gassed i don't see him being able to pull off any type of submission against a guy like hamzat you know he has been able to pull off late submissions in the past against uh you know other opponents um i believe trevin jowes was one of them that he was able to get a third round submission on but this is not trevin jowes I mean this is Hamza fucking Chamayev. and again, I know he has a lot to go out there and prove. And this is a first, like this is a solid stepping stone for him, or at least a solid progression in the right direction. Um, and I think he passes over flying colors. I'm still going to take Hamza Chamayev to win this fight by first round uh, TKO, probably a ground and pound of some sort. <coughs> But I'd uh, yeah, uh, the, the bet that I feel most comfortable with here would be the under one and a half at that minus 120 line. I think that's a solid line. Uh, again, given the style and aggression of Hamzat, the guy wants to go in there and get the job done and move on to the next fight. And luckily for him, Dana was down to already book his next fight. It seems like Damian Maya is going to be the one that he has next, and that's going down October 10th, I believe that is. That's like three, four, four ish weeks away. So I truly believe he wants to go on there, uh, get the job done asap, take as minimal damage as possible, and then just start focusing on that Damien Maya fight, which, in my opinion, uh, is a very, very solid test for him. Um, it's it's gonna be interesting because I think that Hamza will probably go out there and try to strike Damien Maya. He probably won't take this approach of going out there and and you know uh punching his opponent's face to the canvas uh and and risking a possible sweep or or you know uh, Damian Maya pulling off his jiu-jitsu wizardry uh but again we're talking about this fight with GM3 I feel like he'll be way more comfortable pounding Ger- Gerald Mearshart's face to the crown than he would Damian Maya. so I still believe we'll see Hamza go out there uh you know maybe strike a little bit then go for the takedown and then really start to put it on Gerald Mearshart um I like what we've been hearing from Gerald you know, he He's taking a little bit of an offense that uh, Hamzat's already having his next fight booked. Um, so that's some positive fuel for him there, uh, which again, which is why I like the under one and a half. You know what I mean? So even if we see some freak shit happen and Gerald Mirschardt sweeps Hamzat Jumayev and gets him in an arm triangle choke or whatever the fuck it is, at least we're covered with the under one and a half because I don't think uh, we'll see, you know, beyond the seven and a half minute mark in this fight. So lastly... Hamzat Chamayev to win this fight in the first round via TKO. But the best bet, in my opinion, for this fight would be the under one and a half. Donald Cowboy Cerrone versus Nico Price. We got minus 150 on Price and plus 130 on Cowboy. uh, Over under at one and a half, minus 105 for the under. Um, But the line that I'm most intrigued by is the minus 115 on Nico Price to win inside the distance. And even Nico Price to win in round one, plus 275. Um... On the flip side, the most intriguing line for Cerrone would be win by submission at plus 550, as I believe that's probably his best path to victory. So let's actually start off with a hybrid. He's coming off a loss to Vicente Luque in a fight where it was way more competitive than a lot of people believed it would be. You know, a lot of people thought it was just Nico Price in round one. Uh, Otherwise, you know, Vicente Luque would just like mollywop him for the rest of the fight. Um, But it was close and competitive. You know, I I believe Nico Price got the judges... uh, nod on the first two or sorry the uh the first round the second round a lot of the judges gave it to Vicente Luque and then that third round uh it was getting close it was really really close and then Vicente Luque just absolutely drops him with the beautiful left hook um which like blows up Nico Price's eye possibly broke his uh orbital not a 100% sure what happened there but it was a pretty bad stoppage there um like in terms of how bad his eye actually looked um but yeah solid win for Vicente Luque there but it showed a lot from Nico Price it actually did not make his stock go down at all um, you know I thought it made his stock go up if anything um, and uh, yeah like technically like on the feet he's starting to put it together a little bit you know he's closing distance quite well with his reach uh, he he has this like weird body type he looks so ginormous uh, we got a 76 inch reach for Nico Price and 73 inch reach for Cowboy. Cowboy also has a one inch height advantage but um, d- just 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 the size wise man Nico Price is just a a specimen of some sort like it's insane how good he looks uh, physically pretty much at all times and this is a guy I think if like he loses two three four fights in a row it's going to be hard pressed for the UFC to go out there and cut this guy considering he's always you know action packed type of fight every single time like that Vicente Luque fight that he had was his uh it was his first time going to a third round in the ufc second time in his career and we're talking about a guy that has 18 fights at this point in time so it's all action it's whether him going out and killing his opponent or his opponent you know uh killing him pretty much it's it's insane uh watching his fights uh he's fighting a really technical guy in donald Cerrone here who's kind of on the downturn of his career you know this is going to be what the 52nd fight of donald Donald Cerrone's career i think he has 36 to 37 fights in the ufc alone which is insane um and he's coming on uh, like he's on a pretty bad losing streak right now too uh four fights in a row tony ferguson Justin Gaethje, Carter McGregor and a very close fight to Anthony Pettis um, you know not names to really like bat your eye at or be like okay this guy sucks now maybe Anthony Pettis a little bit but uh, that, that was a tough fight especially that third round where he got you know clearly poked in his eye referee did not stop the fight just kept it going uh, and he you know I think he it was very detrimental to Cowboy in that round um, this this fight's tough man Nico Price covers a lot of distance when he's trying to blitz his opponents and really, uh, you know, hit his opponents and Cowboy is quite hittable at this point in time. You know, coming off of three out of four uh, stoppages in his last four fights, um, you know the tony ferguson one okay that was a doctor eye stoppage but you know nico price is probably the hardest hitter out of all those guys uh you know connor probably second but nico price is just a, a ridiculous power puncher i definitely could see him going out there and putting it on donald Cerrone and taking him out in that first round i find it tough to you know um uh, bet nico price straight you know minus 150 isn't too bad of a line but i think he gets his work done inside the distance. You know. Like I said, he he's only seen the third round once in the UFC and it still didn't even go to a decision. Uh, he does not go to decisions. He, he goes out there and he tries to finish the job. And I truly expect he's going to be able to do that with Cowboy here. I think it's going to be a bit of a wake-up call for Cowboy fighting a true welterweight like Nico Price here. Like Tony Ferguson... Uh, or, sorry, let's just go back and see some of the 170s that he's fought. Uh, Darren Till, obviously the biggest. Uh, Robbie Lawler, Jorge Masvidal who used to be a lightweight himself. Matt Brown was a welterweight. Rick Story was a smaller welterweight, in my opinion. Patrick Cote, legit welterweight. Alex Oliveira, legit welterweight. Um, but yeah, as of recently, you know, he did go back to lightweight. Um, I believe his fight with Anthony Pettis was at 170. Yeah, that was a 170 fight. And then obviously you fought Connor as well at 170. Fought H at 155. But Nico Price is one of the bigger dudes that he's definitely going to have fought here. Um, you know, the guy has power in pretty much every limb in his body. And I find it hard to believe that Donald Cowboy Cerrone is going to be able to, to sustain or, or withstand any of that damage coming his way. Um, Now, if it gets outside of the first round, then things get a little bit interesting because then I can see Donald Cowboy uh, going out there and actually completing some takedowns, which I believe should be, you know, the main focus of his game plan in this fight. Um, He should be able to do the best work on the ground. You know, he still is a high level jujitsu player. I feel like, you know, his... Skill for skill, he probably like washes out Nico Price, but it truly comes down to the to, to the power and and the durability left in Cowboy Cerrone, um, and I think just Price is just too much. You know, what I mean, it's it's gonna be far too much. There's just so much power in Nico Price, it, it's ridiculous. Like the the knockout that he got of Randy Brown off of his back, the up kick that he got of uh, James Vick. Like, he has ridiculous power, and he's always able to generate from all these weird situations. So I don't think it's going to be something that Cowboy is used to. You know, he has 50 however many fights, but uh, there's nobody like Nico Price. The guy's just built differently, and he just strikes differently too, and he just carries power differently compared to most, different, uh, most of the opponents that Cowboy has faced in his career. Um I'm gonna take price to win this, and I truly think he gets it done in the first round. We know that Cowboy does not, uh, you know, bode well against guys that really push him in that first round. Um, you know that's where most guys get their finishes of Cowboy. You know Conor McGregor, Justin Gaethje to be, uh, you know, most recently. Um, but yeah, Nico Price, he, he's a problem in that first round. And um, I truly think, you know, if, if you don't actually pre bet this, like uh, bet it before the match, the thing to watch here is if it gets out of that first round. If it gets out of the first round, more than likely you get a probably uh, a really good plus money play on Cowboys Ronnie. And, and I think there would be some value there. But I don't think we see that. I don't think we see this reach the, the second round at all. Um, the under one and a half is an intriguing line as well at minus 105 because even if you know Nico Price somehow slips on a banana peel or something and a cowboy ends up on top of him he could definitely go out there and find a submission himself so I'm going to win Nico Price though I think he gets it done by uh hmm. it'll probably be a KO um, I'm thinking whether You know, it's just like a blitz move that he always does in terms of just closing that distance and hammering on his opponents. And, you know, him and his coaches, it's got to be clear as day that the best way to beat Cowboy Sourney is to go out there and do it in the first round, put it on him as soon as the bell goes on, and uh, we'll see Nico Price go out there and get a finish, in my opinion. So I'm going first-round KO for Nico Price. Time for the main event. We got Kobe Covington versus Tyron Woodley. We got minus three thirty-five on Kobe Covington and plus two seventy-five on T Wood. It seems like the money is slowly starting to come back on Tyron Woodley. If we look at Pinnacle as well, uh, you know he got down to minus three fifty-three, and it uh, seemed like a lot of money came in on uh, Tyron Woodley because now we see the line all the way up at minus three twenty, and I feel like. Over the next 24 to 36 hours, we're going to, see, we're going to see more of that Tyron Woodley money come in, especially after the weigh-ins, uh, after they do the face-off. I feel like we're going to see these, uh, you know, a lot of people will be like, alright, look at Woodley, he's pissed, you know. I'm hoping that there's a little bit of commotion there too, so people can start to buy in on Woodley, but uh, yeah, I'm not a believer. The guy always talks about, you know, going out there and finally pulling the trigger and, and finally letting it go. I still don't think it's going to happen. And worst case scenario, if it does happen, he's going to be gassed. You know I mean? Come the second round, over the one and a half round mark, he's going to be gassed. I I Just the pace and pressure that Colby Covington puts on these guys is just next level. And I just want to take a second to laugh at everybody that thinks that Colby, Colby Covington will not be able to secure takedowns on Tyron Woodley. What? You guys kidding me? For real? Um... You know, it may not be the first round, but it will probably be the second round and third round and fourth round and then fifth round. It's that pace and that pressure that he puts on the, the continuous activity. It's just nonstop from Kobe Covington. Like the guy is the guy's good. The guy's great. Say what you want about his persona and his act and what he's doing to, to cause a controversy or at least get people to talk about him. I don't give a fuck about any of that stuff when we're talking about betting on mma i do not i don't care these guys can make all the political statements that they want i take that completely out of the equation when we're talking about handicapping these fights and whether these guys are worth putting money on to you know make money in return and uh yeah i love kobe covington here man like he's just uh, i i place kamaru usman number one and then we got Kobe Covington, number two, best welterweights currently. You know, Chemaev might have something to say about that in the next year and a half, two years, if he's able to go out there and dust Gerald Muirschard, and then go down to one seventy and dust Damian Maya, and then start to move up the ranks. But right now, we got Kamar Usman, number one, Kobe Covington, number two, and they're pretty much carbon copies of each other. With with Kamar Usman, in my opinion, having a little bit more pop on his shots. Um, I know. Uh, uh kobe's coach came out recently saying that oh you know um uh if if he just changes his stance he'll have a little bit more popping in his shots i'm not really believing too much in that and i'm hoping with kobe covington going over to a new training camp i believe he's to to mma masters if i'm not uh mistaken but uh i hope they don't try to change what's not broken you know what i mean like that fight with Kamaru Usman was super fucking close. And it pro- if it went to a decision and, you know, that fight didn't get stopped with Kobe Covington, uh, you know, uh, getting dropped in that fifth round, it probably would have gotten to Kamaru Usman uh, in the fifth. But there are a lot of people that were giving, you know, Kobe Covington up to four rounds. So he probably would have come out on the judges' scorecards with a victory. Um, but it's up there, man. Like, his pace is ridiculous. His movement, his cardio is just off the charts. And I just don't see how Tyron Woodley is going to be able to 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 combat that you know i mean i feel like if you want to back tyron woodley here it's got to be first round ko you know max i'll give you a second round ko maybe the first minute or a minute and a half of that so woodley wins inside round one plus 1200 that's the shot that if you want to bet woodley that's the shot if you want to sprinkle a little bit more on woodley in round two that's the shot after that it's all fucking kobe covington i'm telling you guys that right now i am super fucking confident in kobe covington here this is the matchup i've been waiting for for a long time now like anybody up against tyron Woodley that has proper cardio proper pace proper pressure i'm taking i'm taking them i took kamar usman you know i wish i went a little bit deeper but uh he was a slight dog i took him uh burns slight dog took him there too kobe covington heavy a favorite We'll more than likely take him here too. It's worth it. I believe that there is value on Kobe Covington all the way up to minus three fifty, and that's me just personally set my own mark of minus three fifty that I'll never bet a fighter straight worse than minus three fifty. And this guy meets every fucking criteria. Again, I'm not sold on the whole thing that uh, Tyron Heel is going to go out there and you know let the guns blaze. And even again, even if he does, his cardio and his gas tank just not is not built for that. If anything, that's just going to lead to a late Kobe Covington finish. You know what I mean? Um, I'm seeing a lot of people out there saying that, okay, why play Kobe Covington straight? You might as well play to win by decision. This is the first time that Kobe Covington is fighting somebody with as bad of a gas tank as Tyron Woodley for a full 15, or sorry, 25 minutes. Um, the only thing that scares me is, like, is the output going to catch up to Tyron Woodley? And do we get, like, a fourth or fifth round mercy stoppage where he just continuously starts to take Woodley down? Or it gets a standing TKO up against the cage? Uh, people can say what they want about uh, Kobe Covington not having any power in his hands, but it doesn't really need to come down to power. It's just overwhelming. You know I mean? If, you, if Woodley's not intelligently defending himself in the fourth and fifth round when he's gasping for error... I could see the referee stopping it. I could absolutely see the referee stopping it. So if you're giving me plus 1,800 and plus 2,300 on Kobe to win in round four, round five, I'm definitely taking a small shot on that too. Um, yeah, I would love Kobe in the spot. I'm just waiting for the odds. Uh, I feel like, I, again, I have no issue taking the shot at minus 350, uh, but I feel like we're going to get a little bit of money coming in on Woodley after the weigh so I'll just sit back and wait and see what happens there. But, uh, yeah, I love, love, love this spot. I've been waiting for this fucking spot. Um, and people, I, I will gladly eat all my words if Woodley goes out there and knocks him out in the first round, because that is his only path to victory. His only path to victory. Every other realm, Kobe Covington absolutely murks him. Absolutely. Maybe jujitsu. Woodley gets a little bit of an edge just because of his credentials. But again, I don't I don't see him fucking, you know, taking down Covington and just holding him there. That's not going to happen. Covington is too active. Uh, Woodley doesn't do a really good job of holding opponents down anyway. So, yeah, I like Covington here. shut the fuck up now but i like covington to win this fight uh i'm gonna take him by fifth round stoppage i think it's just gonna come down to him overwhelming woodley here so i will sprinkle a little bit on covington to win in uh round five plus 2300 plus 2500 whatever i can get him at at one of my bookies uh but yeah i love this spot here it's Yeah, I've been waiting for this fucking matchup so I can finally put down a solid amount of money on my boy Kobe Covington. Well, you know what? It's a stretch calling him my boy. I don't want to get into the politics of this bullshit, but uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of his fighting style, just as I'm a big fan of uh, Michael Jackson's music. I mean, not agreeing with him as a person as much, but the art that they bring to us for our entertainment, I'm totally down for it. So uh, Kobe Covington wins this fight round five. Overwhelming TKO, whether it's uh, ground and pound or or uh, just a TKO up against the cage. But love me some in here. All right, that's it for the breakdowns. I appreciate you guys watching the video. Uh, a little bit of a late drop this week once again. Uh, but shout out to Mrs. Lock. I'm gonna be uh, taking pretty much this whole weekend to to try to get ahead of schedule i'm gonna start pumping out my breakdowns for ufc 253 starting uh saturday uh so hopefully i can get the podcast out by monday or tuesday and then you know start working on the following event so we're just going to start pumping out these uh breakdowns even earlier uh shout out to everybody on the patreon we're still over the three figure mark 100 people 100 plus people are on that uh you know the support that you guys bring is just overwhelming i fucking love it i love it i love it i love it you guys are getting me closer and closer to doing this shit full time uh so i appreciate that um if you haven't signed up to the patreon yet just hit that up uh i did have a losing event this past weekend so that means that my picks are free uh i'll be posting them on my twitter account after the weigh-ins uh so you guys can check that out uh but if you guys want the picks as soon as i make them uh, that's going to be released on the Patreon. Uh, so the only disadvantage of you know, the free picks given out to the public is that the public gets the picks after the weigh ins So the lines may not be the same anymore. That's the only difference. The picks will still be free. The lines may just not be the same. Obviously Patreon members get those picks as soon as I make the bets. And they also get all of the breakdowns that you guys just watch as soon as I record them. So a couple of these breakdowns were recorded a couple of days ago as you guys will see. Um, so again, to get early access to that, hit up patreon and then lastly uh after the weigh as well i i type up my best bets and props article where i give you guys my best bets and props for every single fight on the card so i try to spot the best value on each thing each prop uh and we've had some fucking bangers come out of there and a lot of people are are really enjoying that article some people are only a part of the patreon for that fucking article and i i completely understand it uh there's not a lot of people out there that do that same uh type of thing so i appreciate you guys i appreciate the support Uh, again the tape index is killing it too make sure you guys check that out all of the links all of the stuff is in the description below whether you're watching on youtube or if you listen to the podcast streams i have the link for the tape index and the patreon below so make sure you guys click that and head on over and uh, help support your boy i am halfway pretty much halfway to the point of uh being able to do this shit full time and i'm hoping Keeping my fingers crossed that by 2021 your boy's doing this shit full time, so that we can get breakdowns even earlier uh, and even give you guys more uh, betting and prediction content uh, for MMA. I'm hoping to expand to like Bellator and PFL and Invicta a little bit more, but I just need more time. You know, what I mean, the nine to five, having the family, having all these other uh, things to do, it it eats up a lot of my time. Thankfully, I have a very supportive significant other, uh, so it makes it a little bit easier, but. Then there are nights like this where I'm up to like fucking 2 a.m. Finishing up my podcast, hoping to get it out to you guys ASAP. And then I got to be up in about five hours for work. So I'm hoping that I can leave that nine to five soon enough so I can do this shit for you guys full time. Uh, All right. I'll shut the fuck up. Check out the Patreon description below. Uh, good luck this weekend, and I will see you guys for UFC 253. Super excited for that card, headlined by Paulo Costa and Israel Adesanya, as well as a new light heavyweight champion in Jan Blachowicz and uh, Dominic Reyes. All right, I'm going to shut the fuck up. See you guys next week. Bye.